Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zora. Africa, amka na unai. Good morning and welcome to the last and final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg here in South Africa. We are on the DSTV audio bouquet that's on Channel 802. You can also catch us on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Ayanda Mkwanazi and I'm in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisole Hoku and Fikile Lingwati. Top stories on Africa rise and shine this hour. South Africa's former president Jacob Zuma faces possible jail time. Zimbabwe's president extends COVID-19 lockdown by two weeks. In economics, Nigeria's Okonjo Luela becomes first African to lead WTO. And in the sports news, Kaiser Chiefs to play CAF Champions League tie in Egypt. But first, let's hand over to Anne Musa with the news. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. Officials in the Democratic Republic of Congo say more than 60 people have drowned after a barge capsized and sank on the Congo River. 300 people have been rescued, but around 200 others are unaccounted for following the accident. Locals say the boat hit a rock east of the capital, Kinshasa, while traveling at night. The Congolese Minister for Humanitarian Affairs has called for those responsible for the boat to be charged. The new head of the World Trade Organization, Ngozi Okonjo-Iwela, says her first priority will be the coronavirus pandemic. She says it's unfortunate to see disparities in vaccination rates between the rich and poor countries. Okonjo-Iwela has stressed that vaccines and other treatments should be available in an equitable and affordable way. Taking care of your population and being nationalistic with respect to vaccines won't work this time because even if you get all of them vaccinated and there's a country down the road that hasn't done that, it will come back in the way of variants. So what the WTO can do to use all the flexibilities possible to allow countries to manufacture available vaccines so that there can be more for poor countries quickly. 1,102 more people have tested positive for the coronavirus in South Africa in the past 24 hours, bringing the cumulative number of cases to 1,492,909. 194 of 95 more people have succumbed to COVID-19-related complications. This puts the national death toll at 48,094. The recovery rate stands at 1,391,155. Meanwhile, the Western Cape Government Health Minister Noma French Mbombo says they will continue to engage with health practitioners in the province as they prepare for the arrival of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine this week. In the whole of the phase one healthcare workers, the complementary medicine workers, they are also healthcare workers. In as much as that, some people might not understand what are the modalities from the acupuncture, Chinese medicine, naturopath and all of those, that, but people do make use of them. And whether it's for steaming or some uh, a supplement and all of those. So people do make use of this. 
Chad has called on foreign powers to urgently increase funds for the development of the Sahel. Speaking at a summit on Islamist violence in the region, the Chadian president Idris Deby said combating poverty would help defeat militancy. The French president Emmanuel Macron is attending the meeting via video link. France last year boosted its deployment in the Sahel to more than 5,000 troops. French and other international troops, plus a large regional force, have been unable to contain the insurgency. The Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, has announced plans to set up an independent commission to investigate the attack on the Capitol building last month by supporters of former President Donald Trump. The BBC's Peter Bowers reports. The internet is off and the soldiers are out. The UN Special Rapporteur for Myanmar, Tom Roberts, told the BBC that with so many troops on the streets, he was worried about the safety of thousands of mainly young protesters demonstrating against the military takeover two weeks ago. The country's top general, Min Aung Hlaing, said on Monday that the mass demonstrations against the coup would be handled softly, but he didn't clarify exactly what that meant. Meanwhile, troops in combat gear travelling in armoured personnel carriers have been patrolling many cities in the country in a clear display of military force. That's the news. Headlines at 7.30 Central African time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Thank you to Anne and the news team. It's five minutes after seven Central African time. South Africa's former president, Jacob Zuma, might face a jail term. That's if all goes according to what the state commission intends to do. Chairperson, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo says he will recommend to the Constitutional Court that it impose a jail term on former president Jacob Zuma for contempt of court. Zuma again failed to appear before the commission on Monday, despite the highest court in the land ordering him to do so. Abongile Dumako reports. A much-anticipated appearance by former President Jacob Zuma before the Zondo Commission of Inquiry into State Capture was not to be. The former president wrote to the commission through his lawyers and informed it that he will not appear for the rest of the week. This a continuation of his defiance of the Constitutional Court judgment forcing him to appear before the commission. Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo said that if Zuma is allowed to ignore his summons to appear, there will be lawlessness and chaos in the courts because there may be other people who might follow his example. Zondo says the former president will be given an opportunity to challenge the application. He said Zuma had no valid or sound reason for not appearing. The commission will make an application to the constitutional court, which is the court that made the order that Mr. Zuma has defied, and seek an order that Mr. Zuma is guilty of contempt of court and if the constitutional court reaches that conclusion then it is in its discretion what to do. One of the things it can do is to impose a term of imprisonment on Mr. Zuma. Another would be for it to 
impose a fine. Zondo is described as a great pity former President Jacob Zuma's no-show at the State Capture Commission on Monday. He says his conduct undermines the integrity of the country's justice system. The highest court in the land earlier ordered Zuma to appear after he walked out of the commission in November and didn't pitch last month. Zondo said Zuma's conduct is viewed as very serious, particularly because it had happened repeatedly. It would be a pity if anybody did it, but that it was this was done by a former president of the republic, someone who twice stood before the nation and took an oath that he would uphold the constitution of the republic and protect it. It's a great pity. The commission did not just rush to issuing summonses against Mr. Zuma to compel him to appear before it. Former President Jacob Zuma's not showing up at the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture in Johannesburg saw evidence leader advocate Paul Pretorius reading the prepared questions for the former president on record despite the Constitutional Court ordering Zuma make an appearance before the Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo. I am Abongile Dumago in Johannesburg. Former South African President Jacob Zuma is potentially facing jail time after he failed to appear before the State Capture Commission yesterday. Zuma's lawyers confirmed in a letter to the inquiry that the former president would not attend this week. The Constitutional Court earlier ordered Zuma to appear after he walked out of the commission in November and didn't appear before it last month. However, it seems that a number of political parties are unsympathetic about Zuma's fate. Busi Chumombe reports. Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo has announced that the Commission will approach the Constitutional Court to impose a term of imprisonment on former President Jacob Zuma. It is a development that Freedom Front Plus leader Peter Krunewald has welcomed. It was a court order that he should appear today in front of the Commission and a normal citizen would have been arrested. Therefore, Zuma should also For its part, the DA has described Zuma's non-appearance at the Zondo Commission as shocking, saying he must suffer swift consequences. DA Shadow Minister for Justice and Correctional Services, Glynis Breitenbach. His contempt of the courts and of the commission cannot be tolerated, and those who say they will prevent his arrest are nothing but overgrown schoolyard bullies. Uh, the national, the South African police and the National Prosecuting Authority must act and act quickly uh, to stop this perception that uh, some people are more equal than others. Meanwhile, the IFP has called for Zuma to reconsider his decision not to participate in the State Capture Commission. IFP spokesperson Guleg Olhlengwa says Zuma is not setting a good example. As a leader, his actions have got the potential of being emulated. It would certainly therefore not serve his legacy well for actions which are inconsistent with our constitution and democracy to be those which he wants society to emulate. This is about the country. The EFF has declined to comment on the issue. Its leader, Julius Malema, visited Zuma in Gandla a fortnight ago. However, the contents of that meeting have yet to be revealed. Meanwhile, political analyst Tini Gomaluleke believes that the ANC should assist in breaking the stalemate between the Commission and Zuma. With this uh, formal legal route closed, as it were, by the President himself, 
deciding not to appear before the commission. The only routes that are now open are those of uh, moral persuasion. And one would perhaps hope that uh, the ANC's intention to meet with him, given that the ANC itself has reaffirmed its uh, support for the Zondo Commission, that they will proceed to have a uh, heart-to-heart meeting with him. In other developments, the ANC military veterans are divided on the matter. While the Mkonto West Sizwe Military Veterans Association, MKMVA, has vowed to support and defend Zuma, the MK National Council, which claims to represent the majority of military veterans, in a statement, has called for Zuma to be disciplined by the ANC-NEC for going against a constitutional court order. It also wants MKMVA President Kebima Patswe to be held accountable for encouraging Zuma to break the law. And that report by Busi Chimombe in Johannesburg. South Africa's Deputy Minister of Home Affairs in Jabulu Nzuza says they have asked their Zimbabwean counterparts to increase the number of trucks allowed to cross to Zimbabwe through the Bight Bridge border post each day. He says this will ease congestion at the border. Nzuza visited the border post to observe the reopening of the border yesterday. Bight Bridge and other land border posts were closed to curb the spread of the coronavirus last month. Katleho Nyoni filed this report. Long queues of trucks crossing into Zimbabwe from South Africa remain a challenge at the Bite Bridge border post in Musina. The Zimbabwean authorities have decreased the number of trucks crossing to their side due to construction and maintenance of roads and bridges. South Africa's Deputy Minister of Home Affairs in Jabulu Nzuza. Uh, we have noted the load of trucks that are coming through from our side to the Zimbabwean side. The congestion is mainly caused by the truck, by the construction that is happening on the Zimbabwean side. Normally we will process about 600 trucks in a day, but now we can't because the Zimbabwean authorities, they were initially taking about 200, but we have through our negotiations are now increased their numbers. They are taking just above 400. Nzuza says health testing facilities have been increased. Today we were anticipating that uh, there won't be much movement because the Zimbabwean side of the border for movement of people is not yet open. We anticipate that people are going to start coming through from Zimbabwe tomorrow. Uh, we have made sure that we increase testing uh, facilities from Department of Health, even have now pr- private contractors who are helping Department of Health. A hawker at the border says he is grateful for the reopening of the borders as it will boost their business. We, for the kitchens, we are going to have some more clients. The situation is now to be changing because some other people from Zimbabwe, they are now coming and we are going to have some more business right now. I've been selling here for two years. Some of the people at Bad Bridge are skeptical about the reopening of borders. If the borders close, so many people are affected in this situation. But considering the fact that uh, this issue of coronavirus is serious and uh, it's raising the concern over the country and as a whole, I would like, if it was in my decision, I was going to open this border maybe on the 1st of March. The Khoroblas Brech border post in Tibutzwana remains closed after it was affected by floods. Border authorities say the border will be closed for the next four weeks. And that report by Katle Khonyoni in Bulukwana, bringing the time to 15 minutes after 7 uh, Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
We continue with our broadcast on Africa Rise and Shine. My name is Ayandam Kwanazi. Zimbabwean President Emerson Mnagangwa has extended the COVID-19 lockdown by another two weeks. To allow investigations of new variants to end, Zimbabwe first imposed a 30-day lockdown in January when the second wave of the COVID-19 struck, killing more than 1,000 people, including government ministers and several top government officials. Simon Muchemwa reports from Harare. Zimbabwean President Emerson Nangagwa on Monday extended the COVID-19 lockdown by another two weeks to allow investigations of new variants to end. Zimbabwe first imposed a 30-day lockdown in January this year when the second wave of the COVID-19 struck, killing more than a 1,000 people, including government ministers and top government officials. Government business was reduced by 90% to allow reduced interaction while a curfew from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. was announced. The lockdown was later extended by a further two weeks by the acting President Constantino Chiwenga to this Monday. In his address to the nation, that was televised, Mnangagwa had this to say. While the national lockdown goals are now within sight, the numbers of active cases and the deaths, however, are still very high. These need to come down further. Every life lost is a big loss to us. I therefore extend the national lockdown by a further two weeks. The extension will allow the number of active cases and those still in incubation to receive. This extension should cause a great reduction in the pool of infected people, enable health personnel to investigate and monitor the presence and the circulation of new variants. The announcement came a few hours after the country took receipt of the first batch of 200,000 doses of the Chinese vaccine. A rollout program is yet to be made public by the first team of people to be vaccinated include the presidium, parliamentarians, frontline workers, the aged and those with chronic illnesses. A relaxed lockdown will be affected with schools closed and judiciary to operate only for urgent matters, Mnangagwa said. All private companies seeking resumption of operations should test their employees in compliance with the world health protocols. The judiciary will open for only urgent cases to be heard. No one is allowed in the gallery. All who attend the court will be tested. Schools will remain closed for the duration of this extension. Our market shall remain open, but observing social distancing. And those in the informal sector may only open once they have satisfied the World Health Organization protocols. Nangagwa added. Hours of business will be 08 hours to 17 hours in the afternoon. Curfew is from 20 hours to 058 hours in the morning. No intercity and interprovincial commuting. Funeral gatherings 
to remain pegged at thirty people, with all social gatherings remaining banned. All burials are to be handled according to World Health Organization protocols and regulations. In essential services to remain functional, government manning levels to increase from 10% to 25%. According to Mnangagwa, the lockdown extension is meant to give time for the government to come up with a proper mechanism of dealing with the new infections. In the next few days, the country will witness the first vaccinations while borders remain closed on the Zimbabwean side. On Sunday night, South Africa opened borders, but the Zimbabwean government is a bit reluctant to do that after noticing that some new variants of the COVID-19 were coming from South Africa. Only air travel is allowed, although a number of flights have been suspended owing to the strains detected in the country that have become hard to deal with in other nations. In Harare, Zimbabwe, for Channel Africa, this is Simon Mshemwa. Nigerian police arrested a small group of protesters in Lagos on Saturday after they tried to hold a rally demanding justice for victims of a deadly shooting during demonstrations last year. Activists had called for new protests on Saturday after a judicial panel authorized the reopening of the city's giant Leki tollgate where security forces shot at protesters in October. Channel Africa's Colin Nosa Atonghebe reports from Lagos. The renewed peaceful protest was particularly against the ruling of the judicial panel in Lagos, which directed that the owners and operators of the Lekki toll gate, where the peaceful protesters were attacked by the military, could repossess the toll plaza and continue with their business. The ruling was seen by Nigerian youths as very unacceptable because the judicial inquiry was yet to close proceedings on the NSAS issues and victims were yet to have their complaints addressed, just as the Nigerian army which carried out the shooting at the Toll Plaza had failed to appear before the panel of inquiry. When the resumption of protest was made known, the Minister of Information, Lai Mohammed, while addressing State House journalists in Abuja, said the government will not tolerate any protest in the magnitude of the October 2020, which witnessed a lot of destruction of public and private property across the country. The attack, looting, and raising of, of 269 private and public property will not happen again. The killing of the civil civilians will not be reunited. We therefore strongly warn those who are planning to reoccupy Lekki Tollgate on Saturday to desist from their planned action. The ruling did not go down well with one of the youth representatives on the panel, Rino Oduala, an activist who after reviewing the implications of the ruling felt she can no longer continue to participate in the inquiry because she does not want her name to be on the final document of a body which is set to manipulate and rubber stamp her into something she is strongly opposed to. That is the failure of the judicial panel of inquiry to deliver justice to the victims of the excesses of the police and the army against peaceful protesters. Until that point, there was no division. We're walking to my own morals and conscience. I do not believe that I can remain 
on the panel and allowed my name to be overstamped into major decisions that I do not believe represent the best interest of the constituency I am there to represent. What could have led to that swift reaction and decision to withdraw from a panel which was constituted to look into issues which bordered on the reason for organizing the protest in the first place. Dele Farotimi, a lawyer and one of the conveners of the peaceful protest, says the protesters never really had faith in the panel. The protesters never really had much faith in that panel. We took it upon ourselves to persuade the protesters, the victims, that they should take the legal route and go to the panel. That as long as the panel works and everybody submits themselves to the panel's jurisdiction, then there will be justice for all. But what we have found is that the panel has been used more as a, an instrument to buy time, and now it has become a way of legitimizing the reward of a principal accused in multiple murders. So there is a lot of discontent about the way the panel has carried out its operation and carried on. The Nigerian army acted in that place and it has refused to submit to the jurisdiction of the same panel that is now ordering that that toll gate be reopened. So what justice has been given to the victims? Reno Dwala says she was disappointed with the decision of the panel which she sees as a body set up to promote the interests of government. But when it came to um, the decision on the toll gate, my stance has always been known. Justice for the victim has to be the priority and, and of utmost importance before anything else can, can come to reality. The courts were born in Lagos. Nobody's asking to rebuild the court, but the toll gate is the utmost priority. We're yet to listen to these victims. The army is refusing to come to the panel. You know, we're yet to, we're yet to know of the level of involvement that LCC has, coupled with the fact that this um, same LCC refused to release their servers so that the forensic experts can authenticate the footage which they submitted to the panel. And the panel goes ahead to release the toll gate to them. I mean, for me, all they want to do is to just whitewash their image with the panel, make it look as if they are doing something. When the NSAS protest opened in its maiden peaceful action in October 2020, government was quick to call for the disbandment of the special squad and to redeploy members to other formation of the Nigerian police force. This is how the Inspector General of Police, Mohamed Adamu, presented the disbandment. In due cognizance of the wide and legitimately held concerns of well-meaning citizens on the existence and operations of Special Anti-Robbery Squad as a responsive and citizen-oriented police force, the Special Anti-Robbery Squad of the Nigerian Police, otherwise known as SARS, is hereby dissolved across all formations, the 36 state police commands, and the Federal Capital Territory, where they currently exist. While the action of government in that regard was commended, the constant threat foreseeable in the message from government quarter each time there are talks about further protests to express the poor handling of the incident and victims' right has not been encouraging. Government-wide warning and speaking of the need to avoid violence and destruction of property failed to consider the fact that it failed in the responsibility to provide protection for protesters and ensure that lawful, peaceful protest is observed within the dictates of the law. About 35 people who were arrested in Lagos during Saturday's protest have now been granted bail, while lawyers have gone to court to challenge the decision of the panel. From Lagos, I am Collins Nosato, and before Channel Africa News.
Rwanda and DRC security officials have vowed to strengthen cooperation in security to bring lasting peace and stability between the two countries. This was said during a bilateral meeting in Kigali that brought together security chiefs from the two countries to discuss ways of dealing with security threats that affect both countries. Silvanus Karamera reports from Kigali. This was the second time in 2021 that top security officials from Rwanda and the DRC met to discuss security matters of common interest. Rwanda Defense Forces spokesperson Lieutenant Colonel Ronald Guivanga says the meeting served as a platform for the two armies to digest the strategies laid down at the previous meetings. It is a follow-on uh, meeting uh, from the meeting that was held on 19th January 2021 in which a delegation uh, was sent to deliver a, spe a special message from His Excellency Paul Kagame to his counterpart, uh, President Antoine Tshekedi, uh, in which he highlighted uh, the security situation. And uh, he actually also uh, thanked him for the successes registered in neutralizing Rwandan armed groups operating in the Eastern DRC. Um, so this meeting is supposed to review the status and security situation regarding the groups operating uh, in, the, in the region and to forge a constructive framework uh, moving forward. This meeting came two years after the DRC forces FRDC launched an offensive against armed groups operating in the eastern Congolese forest that are often a threat to the security of the country and the region as a whole. Kambichijiki Jean-Claude, DRC's director of foreign intelligence, said his country was pleased with the results of the military operation in the eastern DRC and that to achieve its goals without a doubt. We are confident that we will completely eliminate all these insurgents groups. The confidence comes from the operations that have already been taken by our forces. We also expect development in the area to follow because when these militia groups have denied our people the opportunity to think about development, the DRC delegation was led by François Béa Kasonga, special advisor to President Félix Tshisekedi on security. He slammed the Western countries, saying they were involved in the often conflict between the two neighboring countries. We came here to challenge the whole world, especially the Western world, who don't want us to speak and to work together. We are here to tell them that we are one and that we never want conflicts among us. I'd like to thank His Excellency President Paul Kagame for welcoming us, but especially for this idea of uniting the security institutions and to strengthen our cooperation. This reinforces the important relationship that will make no one think of harming each other because we are well aware that we share a lot in common. Rwanda's Chief of Defense Staff, General Jambo Kazura, also says that what the people of both countries need is cooperation and development, but he insists that this cannot be achieved without security. Nous avons des délégations qui sont composées de we have a group of delegates de, 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 from many sectors, especially security agencies. So that says a lot about the attention our two heads of state give to the security matters. It means that you can achieve anything while you are secure. If the people of both countries are able to trade, 
not only will our two countries prosper, but Africa as a whole. This coincides with the fact that President Felix Tshisekedi is the chairperson of the African Union, which makes us proud. It shows us that we are on the right track of Africa's development. After the meeting, the two countries have made it clear they are going to be cooperating in different areas of life. Silvanus Kalimera, reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. Brings the time to 28 minutes before 8 Central African time. Good morning to Anne Musa. What's in the news? SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. In the headlines, officials in the Democratic Republic of Congo say more than 60 people have drowned after a barge capsized and sank on the Congo River. The new head of the World Trade Organization, Ngozi Okonje-Ewela, says her first priority will be the coronavirus pandemic. And Chad has called on foreign powers to urgently increase funds for the development of the Sahel. Those are the stories making headlines. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms, on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. You're still listening to Africa Rise and Shine with myself, Ayanda Mkwanazi. The hearings at the inquest into the death of South Africa's anti-apartheid activist, Neil Agate, have concluded. The focus will now shift to the inquest of another activist, Ernest Dibale, who also allegedly committed suicide at the then John Foster Square police station in Johannesburg in the same year of 1982. The security branch police claimed that both Dibale and Agate hanged themselves in their cells, testifying virtually on the final day of the agate inquest, police officer Captain Ben Nell said his colleagues had called him a traitor for taking on the investigation. Nell says that he had been assigned the case in 2016. Wisani Makubela reports. Lawyers involved in the Neil Agate inquest managed to invite several witnesses who testified in 1982 to again give evidence at the now reopened inquest. This as the Agate family seeks to challenge the findings of the 1982 inquest which had cleared the security branch police of any wrongdoing. One of the last two witnesses at these hearings, Captain Ben Nell, spoke about his probe after being assigned the case in 2016. He listed several former security branch police officers whom he interviewed, but Target family lawyer Howard Vani demanded answers on one particular officer whose name was missing from the list. Now, I'm, I'm particularly curious as to why you didn't pursue a meeting or an interview with former Lieutenant Stephen Whitehead, given that he really is or was the prime suspect in this matter. He is deceased, but he only died on the 23rd of April 2019. We opened the new Agate and the Ahmed Timo cases about the same time. We got the instruction from advocate Sean Abrams, the NDPP, that we must first do the Timor inquest. So at that stage, the Agate inquest was put on hold. Nell says he encountered several challenges in getting to the bottom of the matter. 
Nobody wanted to help me because they saw me, literally saw me as a traitor. I was called a traitor many a times because I was investigating white police security officers in the past. When I want to talk to people, say, I'm not going to talk to you, you're a traitor. Because of that, it took me about two times longer when people really didn't want to assist at that stage. I think the big problem is all the documents that you try to seek is missing. It was destroyed or... If you try to get a document from the old security branch of the police, there's no way you're going to get it. The final witness was Umkonto Wesizwe Military Veterans Association's Carl Niehaus. Niehaus was detained at John Foster Square a year and a half after Agat's death. His reason for wanting to testify was based on an apparent misunderstanding of former police officer Joseph Nyampule's vision of events, as Van put it to him. And so I must ask you, Mr. Niehaus, will you retract the statement in your affidavit that Mr. Joni Ampule in his evidence was trying to develop a narrative that detainees were prone to wanting to commit suicide? Sir, I will retract that statement on the basis of the information that you shared with me now, with the understanding that that particular statement, as I have been aware of it, created the impression in my mind that such a narrative was being developed. So yes, I will retract. The Aget inquest hearings have now come to an end. They'll be closing arguments on a date still to be confirmed. Judge Mutsamai Makume will continue to preside over the inquest of another anti-apartheid activist, Ernest Dipale. Dipale also died under similar circumstances as Aget. He allegedly committed suicide at John Foster Square on August 8, 1982, about six months after Aget's death. I'm Wiseni Makubele in Johannesburg. South Africa joined the rest of the global community on Monday to mark the International Childhood Cancer Day. The South African Bone Marrow Registry used the opportunity to call for more awareness around the warning signs of childhood cancers as early detection can save lives. To discuss this further, Samora Mangesi spoke to Zahir Isaacs, search coordinator for the registry. In South Africa, uh, between 800 to 1,000 children are diagnosed with uh with a blood cancer or a, a, a solid tumor cancer every year. And how easy or difficult is childhood cancer to prevent or screen in comparison to adult cancers? You know, there's a lot of stigmas attached with cancer. And then um, in, in the world, uh, there's a treatable cure rate is between 70 to 80% in well-resourced countries. In South Africa, unfortunately, our cure rate is standing at about 50%, simply because um, you know, not everybody has access to health care. And then um, even though we have an established oncology health care service, the infrastructure is also overburdened. And then it's also further impeded by low cancer awareness in the primary health care settings. Um, so the service delivery challenges are huge. And does South Africa have enough resources to provide adequate care for children with cancer? There is enough resources on a tertiary level, and I mean, especially with childhood cancers, it it, it is a treatable disease. Um, I just don't know. Unfortunately, I think more awareness is needed, and knowing what the early warning signs are is vital in order for treatment to commence as soon as possible. I think, unfortunately, among certain local ethnic groups, there's still a lot of stigma and myths around uh, childhood cancers, you know. Some people think cancer is um, that you can catch it from somebody else. And, I, I, yeah. 
What are the early warning signs of childhood cancers and that the public should learn more about? I think um, first I need to say that the most common cancers for children are leukemias and lymphoma. With leukemia, it's a rise in the number of white cells in the body and about a quarter of children that has cancer usually has a leukemia. The early symptoms for that is tiredness, bone and joint pain, weakness, is bleeding of or bruising. Sometimes the gums bleeds or recurrent nose bleeds. Sometimes you have swollen lymph nodes in the neck or anywhere else. Fever and then also unexplained weight loss. With lymphomas, that is more solid tumor. It is, begins in the lymph glands. It can be in the spleen, the thymus gland, and in the bone marrow. It can affect other organs throughout the body. There you have to look out for maybe painless swelling of lymph nodes in the neck, armpits, or groin. Persistent tiredness, fever, night sweats, weight loss, and maybe an itchy skin. I think the key word is persistence. If a symptom for a child persists, it's important to to get help or to find out, is it something more than just um, a normal ailment? Would we say that South Africa has enough resources to, to, to tackle these childhood cancers? I think we do. All right. And, uh, I just think the problem could you give us more details about the requirements for one to be a bone marrow donor? Oh, yeah. Um, for most of these children, the gold standard of treatment is a stem cell transplant. I like to say stem cell because people still think uh, to become a bone marrow donor, we're going to drill in your bones and take the bone marrow out. The procedure is extremely simple. It is like um, giving platelets. They put a needle in your arm, your blood goes in the machine, and the machine separates your stem cells, which is then transplanted to the patient. And that can be a lifeline. To become a donor, it's as easy as going on our website at sabmr.co.za. There's a drop-down menu to become a donor. We will courier the kit to your home you do your mouth swaps, you send it back to us, and then we send it off for DNA analysis and you become a registered donor. The problem in South Africa, um, especially for children of color, is that we do not have enough donors of color on the registry. Uh, but it's not just a problem here, it's a problem throughout the world. 70% of the 38 million donors in the world is actually white. So, yeah, if, if anybody of color gets ill, find a matching donor becomes a mighty task. And that was here Isaac's search coordinator for the registry and he was talking to Samora Mangesi. The Council for Quality Assurance in General and Further Education and Training, Umalusi, has given South Africa's 2020 national matric exams the green light. The Quality Assurance Body approved the release of the results in Pretoria. This amid an ongoing investigation into the League of Mathematics and Physical Science Paper 2. Umalusi says despite the leak, it's satisfied with the quality of exams after finding no systemic um, no systemic irregularities that could have compromised the examinations, Pumzilim Langeni reports. The 2020 national metric examinations proved to be difficult due to COVID-19. This saw over 1 million candidates sitting for examinations due to the postponement of June exams. The Department of Education was once again rocked by a scandal when mathematics and physical sciences papers too were leaked. A rewrite was on the cards until the Pretoria High Court ruled against the decision following an application by teacher unions and lobby groups. 
Despite Umalusi expressing disappointment on the leaks, Chairperson Professor John Volmick says the regulatory body is satisfied with the results. Over and above, in addition, Umalusi noted with concern, as I've said, the serious irregularities regarding the leakage of Mathematics Paper 2 and Physical Sciences Paper 2. However, the Executive Committee is satisfied that, based on available evidence, there were no systemic irregularities which might have compromised the overall credibility and integrity of the November 2020 National Senior Certificates. Umalusi also found irregularities in both basic education and the independent examination board exams. It has instructed the basic education department to block the results of candidates implicated in irregularities. This includes candidates implicated in the leak of the maths and physical sciences paper too. An investigation into the leaks is ongoing. Here's Volmik. The DBE is required to block the results of candidates implicated in irregularities, general irregularities, including the candidates involved in group copying pending the outcome of further DBE investigations and emergency verification, and tighten security at all levels to secure that there are no leakages of question papers. Umalusi has also cautioned against the selling of fake metric certificates. It says it has observed a worrying trend involving the sale of fraudulent metric certificates. Umalusi CEO Dr. Mafu Rakometzi. Unfortunately, Umalusi has observed a disturbing increase in the number of crooks who sell fraudulent certificates on these online platforms. Kindly note that either selling, either selling or buying from is a serious criminal offence. Therefore, Umarus is currently working with law enforcement agencies to track down these criminals and institute a legal process against them. Rakometsi says the 2020 examinations were undoubtedly the most difficult they've dealt with due to challenges faced during the process of marking. Umarus goes with a great deal of empathy that regrettably about seven markers and numerous other people involved in the marking processes lost their lives due to COVID-19. This is truly heart-wrenching. We also know that during the marking of the 2020 National Examination Scripts, numerous markers on different levels, examiners, moderators and monitors, were forced to withdraw themselves from the process because of testing positive for COVID-19. Marks for accounting and business studies were among those adjusted downwards, while mathematics and physical sciences marks were not adjusted. The results will be released on the 23rd of this month. I am Pumzilem Langini in Pretoria. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective on the coronavirus. Coronavirus is a disease that causes respiratory illness like the flu with symptoms such as a cough, fever, and in more severe cases, difficulty breathing. You can protect yourself by washing your hands frequently, avoiding touching your face, and avoiding close contact one meter or three feet with people who are unwell. If you suspect to have contracted COVID-19, contact the relevant health authorities in your area. Keep listening to Channel Africa. The African perspective will keep you updated on the latest on the coronavirus. This is Channel Africa. 
South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite. From an African perspective, Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandaluni Nzovu and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Time for an econ update. Here's Tabisole Hoko. Thanks, Ayanda. As the mobile money increasingly becomes popular locally and across the world, fraud cases have been on the rise. As of 2019, there were 481 million registered mobile money accounts in Africa, making up 46% of global accounts, with more people turning to using mobile wallets instead of cash as a safer option. The number of international and African players entering and expand into new markets across the continent, providing user-friendly alternative to processing micropayments and reduce the amount of cash people need to carry with them. However, with the progress, cybersecurity experts say have also seen an increase in multiple forms of fraud. The General Council of the World Trade Organization has described the selection of Nigeria's Dr. Ngozi Okonjo Iwiela as the first African and female Director General, a very significant moment. Show and Bryce Peace reports. Ms. Okonja Iwela has been appointed by consensus of the WTO members, none objecting to her selection. Previously, when a group of trade diplomats concluded that... My apologies, and that's not Show and Bryce Peace. The new head of the World Trade Organization, Ngozi Okonjo Iwela, says her first priority will be on... Uh, the coronavirus pandemic. She says it is unfortunate to see disparities in vaccination rates between the rich and the poor countries. Okonjo Iweela has stressed that vaccines and other treatments should be available in an equitable and affordable way. In Zambia, the Lusaka South Multi-Facility Economic uh, Zone has launched its five-year strategic plan, which will see the zone attract about one billion U.S. dollars worth of investment. LSMFEZ Acting Managing Director Kennedy Muila said the investment to be recorded over a period of five years will go a long way in unlocking Zambia's position in terms of uh, manufacturing. The US dollar is a trading at 377.14 Nigerian Nara, 1073 Botswana Pula, 108.51 Kenyan Shilling, and a 21.59 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies in Brazil, one US dollar, 73 rubles, rather, will start in Brazil, 5 rule 36 Russia, 73 rubles, 61 India, 72 rupees 49. China, 61 45. And in South Africa, a dollar is trading at 14 rand 52. The US dollar is also trading at 72 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to euro. Gold, 1,816 dollars. Platinum, 1,278 dollars per ounce. Brand crude, 63 dollars 40 cents a barrel. Channel Africa.
over to Fikile Lingwati, what's happening in the sports news. And in this hour in our sports update, we are saving off or betting with cricket news. South African sports minister Natim Teto has granted a request from the Cricket South Africa CSA interim board to have its tenure extended by a further two months. Mteto imposed the interim board on CSA on the 30th of October last year and appointed it for three months to restore stakeholder and public confidence in the organization. The interim board was initially rejected by the CSA member council, the organization's highest decision-making body. But... After a dressing down from the minister, the members' council eventually relented, and the interim board was formally incorporated as board of directors on the 15th of November. Nteto says, having consulted the CSA member council, he was persuaded that the extension was the best decision for cricket. Still with cricket, Cricket South Africa CSA Director of Cricket, Graham Smith, has given his support to CSA's correspondence to the ICC, that's the International Cricket Council, to address a growing trend of wealthy member nations not promoting a more equitable cricket calendar. This follows the cancellation of next month's test series by Cricket Australia, citing COVID-19 variant in South Africa. Smith has made no secret of the fact that the organization's relationship with its Australian counterpart, Cricket Australia, will remain compromised for a significant period of time. The game needs leadership right now. It needs to understand the complexities. I mean, I don't think world cricket wants three nations competing against each other in 10 years' time. I mean, what, how does that benefit the game? It, it doesn't. I mean, I think that that will then, you know, amplify the leagues. I think leagues will... Um, will then just get bigger and bigger and bigger um, and probably the rest of the member nations will have little to no content. On to football news, South African Premiership side, Kaiser Chiefs are set to face Weedad Athletic in the rescheduled Cape Champions League group stage. That's a match at Pizzo Misimani's Al-Akhli home ground in Egypt. Chiefs were scheduled to face the Moroccan side in Casablanca last Saturday but were prevented from honouring the fixture after the nation's authorities denied Chiefs visas due to the new COVID-19 variant. The Confederation of African Football, CAV, then said the new fixture date would be announced within 24 hours. However, WIDAT have since confirmed via social media that the fixture will now take place in Egypt between the 16th and the 20th of February, subject to final approval. It was a day of mixed emotions for South Africa's wheelchair ace Khotato Munjane at the Australian Open as she reached the doubles final but saw her chances of reaching her first Grand Slam singles final end at Melbourne Park on Monday. Japanese world number two Yui Kamiji ruined any chance for a final spot for South Africa's leading women's player Khotato Munjane as she claimed a 6-1, 5 victory to reach the singles final. Kenya Golf will stage a second European Tour sanctioned tournament besides the magical Kenya Open next month. Channel Africa's Francis Mutegi reports. The second event, known as the Kenya Savannah Classic, has already been added in the 2021 European Tour International Schedule, according to a press release that was issued this past weekend. The Savannah Classic's series kick off on Tuesday this week up to March 23rd when the pro round will begin. The new event forms double header with the Magical Kenya Open and will be played back to back from March 23rd to March 26th. The Magical Kenya Open, whose 2020 event was cancelled due to the COVID-19 pandemic, is set for March 18th to 21st. The Kenya Savannah 
Classic will be the 16th new event created by the European Tour since its resumption last July following a three-month suspension of tournament golf due to the coronavirus pandemic. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That's a wrap from Africa Rise and Shine today from myself, Ayanda Mkwanazi, producer Pumuzo Ramagaza and technical producer Sfiso Mashejo and the rest of the team, thank you for listening. For comments about our show, send us a tweet at Rise Shine Africa or email at info at channelafrica.co.za. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Kaifas Seminya with a song titled Angelina.